Hello and welcome to The New Conspiracist, the podcast that looks at conspiracies from anti-vax to whether Avril Lavigne was killed and replaced by a body double in 2016. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Pulitzer Prize winning, currently Codeine High, James Ball. James, you're feeling a bit... uh a bit high on the old opiates today, aren't we? So yeah, this this might be my first experience podcasting on opioids. So uh, you know, let's let's see how we do with this. It's good that you're sort of you know adding your weight to the potential US UK trade deal, which no doubt will see them flooding into the country. That's the kind of benefits we can expect from uh, Brexit Britain. We could be all be high. Yeah, exactly. Um, if people haven't uh, listened to the podcast before, James, what do you reckon they can expect? So, well, this week they could expect anything, but usually we are going to try and kick around solve a few issues, bring peace and harmony to the world by answering these questions once and for all. Now, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty fair to say, isn't it, that some of the records we've done, we go for some pretty niche, niche conspiracies. But this one, this is, this is, this is front and center, isn't it? This is part of the national conversation on a regular basis. So, I mean, this is one that we've all been shouting about uh, week in, week out for about four years now, um, which really could be almost anything in the UK since we seem angry about everything right now. James, that is such Remain and nonsense. How dare you? Now, um, our guest today, you might have heard of him. He's on this really small station. Have you ever heard of LBC, James? Have you heard of LBC? I, I, I think it does ring a bell, you it's know. Part, I think it's part of the national conversation. But he's, um, he's a good friend of mine. He's, I, I think, fearlessly and continuously uh, brought the raw reality of fact to the darkness of conspiracy in this area. I mean, of course, to say that we are joined by my good friend, James O'Brien. How are you doing, James? Hello, chaps. I'm very well indeed. Thank you for the invitation. Well, mate, I mean, there is there is no one better suited to this sort of um, conspiratorial nonsense uh, than you. Have you got a favourite conspiracy theory? Like when you were a kid, what was your like entry-level conspiracy theory? Oh, the moon landings. I'm sorry to be really boring and predictable, but I, there was a kid at my school who was absolutely certain that the, the astronauts had never landed on the moon. And <laughs> To this day, I find him enduringly fascinating. I wonder where he is now. Probably NASA. So was he on the kind of Kubrick vibe? No, well, no, I mean like when I was eight. It'd be a bit odd watching Kubrick at that age. I was going to say, it's not eyes wide shut or a bit early then, isn't it? <laughs> it was the first time I ever encountered time. I mean, bearing in mind, I went to a religious school and at one point, I, I do remember honestly believing that if I could actually open the doors of the tabernacle behind the altar, then there would be angels flying <laughs> <laughs> around in the, in the ether behind it. But obviously, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's one of the world's most respected religions. Um, well, listen, today, obviously, we wanted to look at a conspiracy theory that has quite literally strangled the national conversation for literally four years. So, James, let's get into this slowly. And I do mean James Ball, actually, on this one. The conspiracy theory we're dealing with today is the idea, well, it's a concept really around what benefit there may be of hard Brexit and the speculators. So James, what's this all about? So there's a ton of conspiracy theories or sort of plots or theories around Brexit, but this one's quite a particular one. And it came out of the idea of polling night itself, of the Brexit sort of vote night. And essentially the pound absolutely went down the toilet, as I think most of us sort of saw and noticed. It it really dropped about sort of 20% in a night. And that made a lot of people a lot of money. It especially made a lot of people a lot of money because 
initially we thought Remain had won. There was a sort of fake, uh, not not fake, a pseudo exit poll by YouGov, which suggested that Remain would win. And Nigel Farage did a sort of concession and the pound kind of started to recover. You know, investors got confident. Britain's got to be a sensible, safe, boring place to put your money again. You know, we can put our money back. And then, of course, the actual results started coming in and it moved hugely the other way. That makes a lot of people a lot of money. It also loses a lot of people a lot of money. And so there have been suggestions that some of this was orchestrated, some of this was deliberate as part of a way to make them the sort of hedge funds and speculators a lot of money. There's then kind of jump on and follow on conspiracy theories that we should tackle in turn. And we should say on this podcast, just because we call it a conspiracy theory doesn't necessarily mean it's false. There are speculations in turn that in a similar way as that shock on the vote night itself, that a no deal Brexit or a particularly hard Brexit would be done to similarly benefit speculators or hedge funds or other people. So there's sort of there's the actual night of the vote and then there's the idea that it's what's motivating number 10 in some of its uh, kind of erratic decision making. Okay, now listen, this is a big tent, this podcast. This is a podcast for absolutely everyone. So some people might not actually understand how people could make money on, say, the pound tanking. So do you want to just explain, James, like what, what do they mean when they say they're going to short the market? So it there's shorting on the stock market. It's basically placing a bet that a stock will fall. Hedging a currency is a little bit different. And it's basically you are putting on, it's a little bit like an insurance policy. And you are essentially saying, if the pound falls below this level, say below $1.20, I'll get X much money for each point below that level it is. Right. Now, the reason it's called hedging is it was originally intended so that you could hedge your bets. You could even out your risks. You know, let's say you're a bread maker and you buy your wheat in from Canada. You might want to make sure that if the pound fell, the cost of your wheat doesn't suddenly go up a ton because you buy it in dollars. And so you might do that kind of instrument to get a little bit of certainty, a little bit of reliability. And so you can sort of pay a bit of money and have a much better idea of how your year will go. Right. But anything that you can use to hedge your risk, anything you can do to sort of calm it down on financial markets, you can also use to make bets. And what these people do is every day they make bets on how currency markets will move or how stocks and shares will move or how tons of other things will move. You name it, you can put one of these bets on. So, O'Brien, how many calls have you been getting about this kind of... Because, I mean, you've been hearing these these things for four years, but I'm interested, like, on the show, have you had a lot of people calling in and talking to you about this kind of stuff? It's a, it's a default position, I think. It, it's, uh, it, it kind of moved quickly into the into the realms of the almost unchallengeable. I, I mean, there was that infamous photograph as, uh, which, uh, of, of Farage pointing at the, mm. uh, the plummeting pound, which I think a lot of people put two and two together and came up with whatever they wanted in response to that. Although it still merits probably closer examination, coupled with, the, uh, as James mentioned, the trumpeting of that poll that turned out to be, to be wrong. But yeah, I, I think in the absence of substantive explanations of, of why this 
incredibly crazy thing has happened, everything becomes potentially seductive. And and I, I think for a lot of people, well, somebody somewhere is going to be making a ton of money out of this. Mm. It's quite a comforting thought because at least it has a patina of logic to it. Whereas a lot of the other reasons for supporting Brexit, I think, it, well, it's not even controversial now, is it, to say that logic left the building some time ago? It's weird, though, because in terms of a piece of evidence for the prosecution, I'm sure you're all aware that the, the wicked witch of Windrush's own Chancellor, Senator Palpatine, wrote in the Times... Johnson is backed by speculators who bet billions on a hard Brexit, and there is only one option that works for them, a crash out, no deal that sends the currency tumbling and inflation soaring. Now, listen, I know all the prequels, you know, weren't that great, and Senator Palpatine always was an odd character. But when you've got Senator Palpatine actually writing in the Times this kind of pretty, pretty uh, specific, pretty, pretty loaded stuff. It does add a lot of weight to this said conspiracy theory, does it not? Well, correlation is not causation, of course. So while it will be true that any conservative prime minister has benefited from uh, enormous multi-zeroed donations from people who trade in stocks and and in and in currencies and and the bigger the fluctuation in a currency then the bigger the potential rewards are for for people who who do that sort of thing it, it it's not causation it, they might not have donated to Boris Johnson because they were hoping to make a ton of money out of a tanking pound they might be poised to make a ton of money out of a tanking pound and they also donated to to Boris Johnson but because Generally, that's what extremely wealthy financiers do. They're, they're, they're unlikely to have backed Jeremy Corbyn. So their self-interest explains their donation, but their self-interest in this case probably doesn't extend or may not extend to uh, currency fluctuations. So do you, do you think, James, for um, this kind of, you know, when people have something awful in their view happening as Brexit and the chaos with it has been for a lot of people who voted Remain and didn't see it coming. Hmm. Do you think it almost helps to have a kind of villain behind the scenes rather than it being actually just lots of people didn't agree with you and chose to do this thing that you think is awful? Is it almost comforting? I, th- I think any explanation, any comprehensible explanation is better than none, isn't it? So, hmm. if, if you know, before sovereignty became front and centre before uh, the German car industry failed to turn up as promised and the cards that we held to the exclusion of the European Union turned out to be uh, meaningless. It was it was hard to, to find anything you could hang your hat on. And yeah, I guess, I guess in the absence of a comprehensible explanation, conspiracy theories become ever ever more attractive. But, but, you know, as you pointed out at the beginning, people did make a ton of money from that. 20% going off a cliff. And and we're back to correlation and causation. So there's no way that Brexit was affected and pulled off at the behest of, of financiers, I don't think. I, I had quite an interesting conversation with an organisation. I won't name them. I won't be mean. But um, yeah. a quite respectable organisation that I think most people would say, you know, reasonable. But they've got a big endowment, sort of billions and billions. And... Um, Obviously, coming up to the Brexit referendum, they'd, they largely thought it was going to be Remain, but they put sort of one of their investment managers just on, can you do something just to mitigate the risk in case it goes leave? Yeah. And he put quite a big sort of bet. He put a hedge on oh, wow. for if the pound dropped by actually quite a lot less than it did. 
And as 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 I was told the story, they more or less by accident made a billion pounds that night. <laughs> um, this thing that was just meant to cover the their losses elsewhere, because of course the shares dropped, so they yeah. lost money on the other hand. But this thing made a billion for them, and they ended up really quite sort of well off of it. <laughs> now this was this was not an organization that backed leave this was not something that was you know mustache twirling villains do you ever wonder how celebrities order food like is sarah paulson a diet coke or a regular coke girlie <laughs> some peasant coke no or how does sofia vergara order a pizza no nothing no tomatoes i cannot eat tomatoes, tomatoes? Yes. are you killed mushrooms not really okay. <laughs> If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Do you know what? Let's get on to um, to the Russian uh, angle on Brexit because that is probably I'd say do you know, it's probably the the biggest Brexit conspiracy theory, isn't it? That the Russians interfered in the election by essentially using bot farms. Through, yeah, sure, but I mean it, that it had a overwhelming effect. I guess is the sure. the conspiracy. Well, that's the, that's the big unprovable because yeah, you, you know I vote I, the the. Fictional contributor here says, "Well, I, I voted for Brexit, and I did see loads of stuff on my Facebook page about Muslims and uh, immigrants mm. and uh, whatever it may be. But that's not why I voted for Brexit. And you can never prove to that person that their yeah. vote for Brexit was actually a result of the bombardment of of sponsored content of, from very mysterious sources. By no means all of it Russian. I think this was one of the the, the kind of Shamir Sani, the, the whistleblower who worked at Vote Leave, blew the lid off this. Although." He never, of course, got the credit or the um, respect that he deserved. Their, their people's Facebook feeds were being absolutely mullered by demonstrable nonsense. Think of it as an early uh, illustration of what's happened with with QAnon or with the idea that phone masks give you give you coronavirus. And this is what Carol Cadwallader picked up on. People often miss the source of her skepticism, which was people in her home town in Wales voting to cut off their own nose to spite their face. I mean, literally, areas that received huge amounts of financial support from the European Union, voting to leave it. And when she started trying to find out why, it was this avalanche, this this cavalcade of misinformation that was appearing. Mm. And personally, I know this will make me sound very old to you two. When you're in your sitting room or, or sitting at your kitchen counter... And, and it's appearing on your screen in that context. I still think it has an intimacy and an immediacy, mm. particularly for the older generation, that it doesn't have if it's coming out of your television screen or your radio. But something about your Facebook feed and the echoes of Friends Reunited and the sense of it being a social forum, I think people subconsciously put more weight on the crap that they were being fed by various sources, including Russian sources, than they ever would have done mm. via any other medium. But that, that's a very personal view. But. I, I think there's something to that, James, though, mm. because if Facebook adverts didn't have some kind of significant effect, I don't think companies would be spending tens and hundreds of billions of uh, dollars on there in ad revenue. Um, I think when it comes to so, <laughs> sort of the Russia connections, it's one of those things where 
it's true, but not to the extent I think some people want it to be. Mm. You know, we yeah. when, when I was at BuzzFeed, we uncovered several of these Russian bot networks that had been missed by the social media companies. And they basically, they weren't all that, that into Brexit until after the vote. And after the vote, they have mm. absolutely gone for it. They've loved stoking it up, stoking the division. Uh all of this stuff during it they kind of tried the odd thing now and then and you'd see the same accounts sort of go from german language attacks on angela merkel to then this group of accounts tried a a bunch of gays for trump or we're going to vote trump because he's the first gay president and all of this and then that didn't really stick wow then on voting day, they did a bunch of pro-leave messages. One or two did some Romani ones. Um, and basically what they do is try and sow division. It's why you'll see so much Islamophobia from Russian bot-type bot accounts. Um, they really, really push that one hard. But they, it wasn't this sort of thing of Putin was sitting going, I want Britain to leave the EU, because... In a lot of ways, we would have slowed them down and divided them more staying in, which suits Russia fine. But once we were leaving and once we were all angry about it, they're going to throw fuel on the fire. And then so just... I think, yeah, Russia is messing with us. And they've messed with us massively over Brexit and probably made no deal more likely, but probably not enough to be decisive on anything. No. And so it's that really disappointing middle ground where you mm. can't go, ha lol, why did you believe this stupid conspiracy? No, you're, you're right. If you added the, the, I mean, and you know more about the Russian pre-referendum stuff than I do, but if you added that to, to, to the Cambridge Analytica involvement and, and interference, you, you, and, and bearing in mind that the margin of victory was was so small, you can see why people jump on it, can't you? It's, a, it's again, because in the absence of a comprehensible explanation, um, anything that, that seems vaguely plausible becomes infinitely more attractive. I think I've fallen into the trap of being a little bit quick to shout, Russians! I don't know, man. I, don't, I, I mean, it, it, it is quite tempting, but I don't know if any either of you remember this, but back, way back in the distant past of 2014, Charlie Brooker did a, an episode of Screen, Screenwrite that had a drop-in from uh, conspiracy maestro Adam Curtis. And it was about this uh, guy who worked for Vladimir Putin, who basically basically wanted to turn Russian politics into a total cavalcade, a sort of grand performance where Putin would be known to be funding um, far-right groups and simultaneously the anti-far-right protests that were happening wherever and, um, you know, wh whoever was present. He would purposefully try to uh, a sort of shape-shift what they did and didn't believe in, so it made it really impossible to create a functional opposition. So, yes, Russia Russia doesn't want you to believe one particular narrative. It wants you to think that you can never find the right narrative. Everyone will just say their own agenda. Trump communicates exactly like Russia does. They just want to screw with you to a point where you go, fucking hell, this is just too much. I can't deal with this. I'm just going to believe what I believe. But but it's equal weight, that's the thing. And, yeah, and that's so true, you know, equal weight. In fact, I used to love the guy back on um, St. Stephen's Green who used to disrupt all interviews that Broadcom oh, yeah. <laughs> was trying yeah. to do by saying, all politicians are liars. But actually, 
in the context of what James just said, that that's probably part of the problem, isn't it? Is, is that, you know, it, but her emails mm-hmm. becomes almost a, another example. Here is Donald Trump now trying to get people to chant lock him up about Barack Obama for unspecified non-existent crimes while pretty much everybody he's ever hired is doing jail time. It's, it's, it's actually incredible. But that idea of, mm. I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I did wonder... Just when when it began to become clear that Brexit was going to fall apart in the context of what was promised at the time, the debate seemed to descend into "I know you are, but what am I?" And that's what <laughs> yeah. people just described, isn't it? So you, you you point out something that the other side has done, and they just say, "There's that inaccurate quote of Goebbels saying, just accuse the side the other side of whatever it is that you do." But I know you are, but what am I?" Seems to sum up Western politics at the moment. It's terrifyingly true. So, so on our hard Brexit speculators, I have a bit of a confession which is that sort of famous picture of Nigel Farage laughing and pointing at the uh, pound going down um, was a picture exclusive that came into the New European (laughs) that I then then wrote the story around. Uh, And so I I have quite a lot of involvement with this one. And I have to confess, we don't know what he was doing in the picture you can we we got it in from someone and it's real and he's admitted that the picture's real um and we know various things happened we do know that farage had seen a much bigger private poll by Servation, which predicted that leave would win mm. but had still done his public concession and had still sort of commented after the public yougov poll which suggested Remain had won. It's not unusual for hedge funds and others to commission much, much more expensive, much more accurate polls. And the companies are fairly scrupulous in this, in that they will hive off the two teams. But Farage knows a lot of traders. He He used to be a trader. um, And he did have access to more information, um, even... and he did sort of say in reporters he'd heard from friends in the city saying the country had opted to remain when we know that he'd, he had heard a poll saying the opposite. Hmm. Now, I, sh- I should stress, you know, these, this is still jigsaw bits, but I think something smells about that night. And I don't think it's that Nigel Farage wanted Brexit to make some money for hedge funds. But I do, there was enough there to make me wonder should, you know, should some authority look into this and see if there was, you know, Farage getting what he wanted, but whether he saw an opportunity to help some people make some cash on the way. Yeah. Now, I should stress that just those little bits of evidence, they're enough reason to ask questions. They're nowhere near enough evidence to prove wrongdoing. And when we asked Farage about it, he said conspiratorial nonsense, wholly untrue, unfair, and frankly libelous. (laughs) And and we we pushed back kind of, and and the picture? Oh, looking at the hysteria of the short-term market. You know what? There's a very there's a very strange thing going on because you know I heard you this morning on the radio, James, and um, you know you were saying that you know maybe we didn't give QAnon enough time. You know why didn't what, what, we didn't unpack Pizzagate enough? You know we haven't looked at these you know supposed paedophile rings, as, as in we didn't attack the nonsense enough. Well, totally, because we consider it nonsense, and there is a certain assumption that underlies a lot of the basic realities of politics, which seem to have shifted since Trump and Brexit, and. 
simply put, is that rationalism is dead. If you feel it strongly enough, then it makes it true. And the thing that is so terrifying is that, you know, we used to talk about, you know, the government being led by the nose by, um, you know, by the Daily Mail and, and the likes of those in the right-wing press. But it seems to me now that it's more the data that people like coming around and goes, well, you know what plays well uh, is bashing the EU, saying they're all liars. So don't worry about anything else. If it plays well to the crowd, just, just say it. How can you get them to do what you want? Is is the so the end? The means will always the end will always justify the means, which is terrifying. I mean, throughout history, it's always terrifying. It's almost like I feel, particularly with you know Boris Johnson and Brexit, where we think he can underdeliver, or Trump and his election, where he's kind of got nothing else going for him. These conspiracy theories start to be like the best way for them to campaign, like the only thing they've got left. So they just push it. Yeah. For me, at least, so much of what is called populism is about terrorizing people. It's about, mm. you know, it's not Sharia law and no go zones anymore. It's Black Lives Matter and a dance troupe of Britain's Got Talent that oh. we're terrified of. And it's the same people, usually, the same people who would have been profoundly Islamophobic a couple of years ago are now leading the, 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 the attacks on Black Lives Matter. So if you are terrorized and there isn't actually that much evidence in quiet and calm moments to justify your fury and your terror and your anger, then you are very, very susceptible to um, mythical enemies. So, so you've got all this anger and fury, you've got nowhere to put it, and then someone tells you that they're running a paedophile ring out of a pizza restaurant's basement that doesn't have a basement, and you don't really stop to do the counting or the audit. You're just out there to... to and in your own mind, you're a noble warrior, whether mm. you're putting out phone masts or whether you're um, accusing furniture companies of, of smuggling drugged children across borders in, in flat-pack wardrobes. You, you honestly believe that you're on the side of the angels, and and that 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 is a really toxic brew, that combination of utterly unjustified, unfocused fury and terror, which is very carefully stoked by some very well-paid people in, in our professions still in this country, coupled with a, a desire that people have to be you know, on the on the right side, and and God knows where that's going to end. But yeah, the QAnon stuff. I think so many people looked at it, thought, well, that's like flat Earth. There's no point. I don't need to prove that the Earth is round. And you know, we are where we are. Mm. So, and of course, of course, James. Though it's you know that sort of mix of righteousness and anger and fear. Mm. That does seem to have ended up infecting a lot of people in the sort of Remain movement and yeah. the FBPE movement, doesn't it? It has become really, really rife ground for conspiracy theories, and some of them really weird. You know, the, the hedge fund stuff, I think, mm. made sense as did, you know, was there some questionable behavior on boat sure. night? It doesn't really make sense if we're going for a no deal at the end of the year. They'll lose money, more money than they get because it's not a shock. It's only unpredictable stuff yeah. Yeah. that moves it and makes it. But we've got conspiracy theories like Boris Johnson has a fake baby now and they <laughs> right. go right round FBPE. Like it has become another you know these this isn't just no the far right, right conspiracies are scarier aren't they but they, yeah, they no, exist you're, you're right. right i mean the, the the baby thing was incredible wasn't it i never yeah. really and you probably won't believe me when i say this i never really got i'm not even sure i could tell you what it stands for the fbpe stuff was just 
someone who's quite a prominent Remainer. I, I, I never really got that. I never really understood it. But you're right. When the first picture of the of the new baby appeared, there was all sorts of speculation about photographs being doctored and gestation periods and premature or, 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 or full-term pregnancies. And I, I guess we're back to nature of boring a vacuum, aren't we? If you honestly can't see any rational reason why we're embarked upon a current path, then you, you, almost anything can fill that vacuum in your mind and you'll end up believing all sorts of nonsense, however rational you may be in other areas of life. O'Brien, thank you so much for um, joining us on the podcast. But before we go, as is our as is our way, we need to decide. We need to come down on one side of the fence and decide whether this hard Brexit for speculators conspiracy theory is real or if it's a fake, a forgazy. Well, I, I think it's fake, but I think that James Ball was absolutely on the money when he suggested that that some people may have benefited from very expensive research and um, possibly while celebrating what they wanted to happen, pretended that the opposite had happened and allowed some other people to make a ton of money. Wow. Yeah, I totally agree with that. What do you think, Paulie? Yeah, I, I mean, I've got to agree with James agreeing with me. Um, so I, I think mostly fake, but I think there might just be a little kernel of something to this one. It's all that picture, isn't it? It's that bloody photograph. It's so so sort of unapologetically <laughs> celebratory that you can't help wondering, especially well, with the track record, but who knows? Yeah, that's, that's someone who feels like he's got one over on exactly something. That, exactly that. And that's not usually... You, you don't point at the pound crashing as a British patriot, <laughs> like, do you? We live in a crazy and confusing time, but I'm pleased that the two resident experts know what they're talking about. I mean, what the fuck do I know? I'm just a comedian. Um, do you know what? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, James. Now, James, this is our, our usual plug. I mean, you've got a new book coming out, don't you, mate? I have, yes. It's, it's What's it called? How Not To Be Wrong. Uh, um, very good. An examination, my last book was called How to Be Right, and tempting though it was to write one called I Told You So. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would have sold. Well, look, talking about the stubbornness of people clinging to positions that most of the evidence suggests are wrong, I've gone back over my own life and looked at all the things that I've been wrong about, and, and it, it includes some adventures in therapy as well, which I was more surprised to find myself doing than, than, than anybody could have been. But I, I, I hope it provides a little bit of help in it just to to give you the strength to change your mind because i think the first line is that there's no point having a mind if you never change it i really like that so that's a very nice first line yeah that is, I, I can't believe we've done a, a a podcast about such divisive issue as brexit and three ramonas have all agreed with each other I'm personally, personally <laughs> well, obviously what we want to do more than anything is thank you for listening at home. And also to our wonderful guest, James O'Brien, who obviously you can catch uh, from 10 a.m. on LBC's weekdays. Um, we uh, thank you so much for your response so far to the podcast. It does make a big difference to the old algorithm. If you like it, if you subscribe and if you give it a five star review, um, which is probably uh, not what we're going to get from those hardcore Farage uh snowflakes who like to call us cucks anyway we'll be back with some more uplifting stuff in the weeks to come so it's bye from me jolly and rubenstein and bye from the two jameses bye gents see you folks thank you bye-bye